Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber. Please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. Okay, we can't shout because it's uh, very, very early in Kyrgyzstan, but this is Debbie Martin Kunsani arriving at the finish line of the Montane Spine Race as the second woman in the race. Go on, So, Debbie, you're the second woman over the line. Apart from shattered, how are you feeling about your experience? Do you know what? Um, I'm knackered now. The last hour got a bit funky. Um, my eyes were seeing tricks on me. Um, there's a naked man up there with his head up in arms. <laughs> um, um, but do you know what? I um, I always thought the the race would just be a week of pure misery and just you know gutting stuff out. But I had way more highs than I had lows, and it was amazing. Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And that was Debbie Martin-Kansani finishing the spine race last January 2020. 
find out more about the sleep deprivation that caused her to see a naked man with his head up an ass on this episode of the Wild Ginger Running Podcast, the audio version of my live athlete and expert interviews that air every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time. Scottish ultra runner Debbie Martin Consani is an athlete from Montaigne who in this episode shares some incredible advice based on her extensive experience running a really wide variety of long distance events from 24 hour track races as part of the British team to the 145 mile Grand Union Canal race, Montaigne Lakeland 100, the UTMB, the Bob Graham Round, the multi-day Tour de Jean and the 268 mile Montaigne Spine race in winter. Taking on board Debbie's hard-won advice will increase your chances of success with your own ultra training and racing. Join us live on YouTube every Wednesday for the chance to ask your questions to our awesome guests and support me on Patreon to guarantee your question gets an answer. Listen to the end to find out who next week's guest is. For more trail and ultra running advice, gear reviews and inspiration, subscribe to Wild Ginger Running on YouTube, it's totally free, and follow me on Instagram at Wild Ginger Running. Links to Patreon, the YouTube version of this episode, and any other resources or gear that we talk about in the show are in the podcast show notes. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails. Hello everybody and a very good evening to you. I'm Claire Maxted from Wild Ginger Running and I am thrilled to say that I'm here with Debbie Martin Consani this evening. Uh, amazing ultra runner, uh, UTMB completer, 24 hour ultra running for GB, spine race completer, Bob Graham completer. Is there anything that Debbie hasn't done? Hi, how are you today, Debbie? Hi Claire, I'm well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on. Fantastic to have you here as well. Um, so we have got loads and loads of questions here for you tonight from uh, some of my patrons who are the loyal supporters of this channel. So they get priority answering to their questions. Um, but I just thought we'd start off with a, a bit of an easy one um, from Arlene Maitlock, um, who asks, how has COVID-19 affected your training and racing plans this year? And she's kind of wondering what a typical week of training looks like to you now. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I suppose it's had an impact on my whole life, like everyone else. Um, I've been working from home, like everyone, and uh, I work for a newspaper, so it's pretty full on. Um, so my working days have been really long, um, you know, sometimes like 12 hours plus. Um, before we went into lockdown, I would do a lot of my weekly miles running to and from work or doing outfalls at lunchtime. So I'm now having to factor in a run, which is fine because I'm committed enough to, to make that time. Um, I'm just running when I can rather than at a set time. So if I see a window at three o'clock, I'll just go out for an hour. So um, the structure of my training hasn't really changed that much. And during the week, I'm still going out for maybe 60 minutes still doing some speed sessions which might be a little bit lackluster just now because i feel like i'm not training for anything and uh yeah so i'm still trying to run every day um i'm doing a lot of zoom classes now which i never thought i would ever do in a million years so i've been doing some classes at the gym before we went into lockdown so the instructors have moved them online so we're doing them uh 
and Zoom, which is, it's fun. I'm really enjoying it. Um, it hasn't really had a massive adverse effect on my training. So maybe I'm not as motivated as I was because the other part of the question was the races. And like everyone else, everything I'd trained for has been cancelled. But I do feel quite thankful that I did one of my A races in January. So, and it took me a while to recover from that. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm actually finding the joy in running because it's the one thing that you can do that's normal. So I'm really enjoying just running and I'm actually really enjoying just running from the house. The simplicity of opening the door and not having to drive hundreds of miles to go on a really nice trail. So yeah, I'm just keeping it kind of basic, but it's still happening. So can't complain. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because it just takes all the decision making out of running, doesn't it? You yeah. have to go from your house, so it's do you go north, south, east or west? It's it's not do yeah. I drive five minutes over there or ten minutes over there or should I go to the Peak District or in yeah. your case some mountains in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, it's my usual route's like I live right quite next to a canal and there's a couple of parks, but they're just so busy. So my favourite route just now is an industrial estate along the Clyde River. There's nobody's there. <laughs> Fantastic. That sounds it sounds really pretty just alongside a river. Um and um so I'm I'm just wondering uh in normal times um because you do so many of these long distance um events I'm wondering what your weekly mileage is. Um Nigel Barnett's got the question here of um what weekly mileage does Debbie consistently do to achieve her ultramarathon goals? Um and then uh, yes, uh, he wants to know how you divide it up, and somebody else does as well. So, but I'll, I'll let you answer the first question first about the, your normal kind of weekly mileage and um, how that it happens. Depends on what I'm training for. Um, yeah, I think in days gone by, like when I first started 24 hour running, um, I think I did my first 24 hour race 2011 or something like that. Um, I think it was back in the day where there wasn't that much information on ultra running, so I was doing like big back-to-back weekends, like ridiculous, like 30 miles on a Saturday and 30 miles on a Sunday, and um, yeah, it just made me really slow, to be honest, um, so I used to do that, and now I don't, and I don't know whether, because I've got all those jump miles in my legs from years gone by, um, but now there's more structure um, in my training, I have a coach, Paul Giblin, who keeps me in line. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't really have a set amount of miles. It's probably between sixty and probably up to about a hundred, maybe a couple of times if I'm training for something big. Um, but I, I do believe more in quality rather than just quantity. So, and I'm I'm doing a lot more kind of strength stuff as well now rather than just focusing on running. So which is something I haven't, I've only started in the last year or so. so. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how many ultra runners are going from just running all the time to actually doing specific workouts, speed work, and also getting the strength work in as well. Like Jim Mann said he was into doing plyometrics, and he says it's really increased his recovery, it's really um, decreased his recovery time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to do a, a little bit less running, but more, um, a bit more cross-training, so... Yeah, I, d- I definitely don't run as much as I used to, that's for sure. 
Yeah. Is that sort of with more um, more sort of intelligence and reading around the sport, like more research has come out? Or has it also got something to do with where you are in, in your life? Like as you get older, do you have to run less or anything like that? I think, I think it has helped. I have Paul who tells me what to do. Um, if I was left to my own devices, I might do a little bit more and throw in a couple of recovery runs here and there, which are not necessary. Um, yeah, I think there's just more structure, and I just don't, I just don't feel the need to have to do lots and lots of miles anymore. So maybe it just works for me better now. Yeah, and I don't feel like I recover as quickly as I used to. Um, so yeah, I think just more structure, and I just don't think it's necessary to do a lot of miles. So. Yeah, well, that's that's music to my ears. <laughs> um, and we'll we'll come on to recovery um, in a bit because we have got a question about recovery a bit later on as well. Um, but just to develop that training um, side of things a little bit, um, Amanda wants to know about the training and says, does Debbie do speed work or hill work, hill work or um, are they done by distance or time? So she just wants to know a bit about the breakdown of your weekly training um, into those different sessions that you were talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, most of my weekly miles are done at a relatively easy to steady pace. Um, I do two speed sessions a week, most weeks. Um, so I would do like an interval or speeds or tempos on a Tuesday and then maybe do like a hill set on a Thursday. And then sometimes if I do a long run, like if I'm training for something where you need a little bit more speed. I mean, that could be anything up to like a flat 100 miler. I would do my longer runs and put in some tempo sets in the middle of that. Um, but most of mine is just easy running. Um, yeah, but I do maybe two speed sessions a week. I do find, I do think it's really important, um, not even from a physical speed side, but I like to just mix it up. Otherwise it just gets a little bit boring. Um, yeah, so I, I, I do actually enjoy it. I don't enjoy it before I go out. <laughs> Finished, I'm like, that was really good. I love that. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, sometimes I've gone out and felt really sluggish and, and then, like, just got really bored of just plodding along. And then I think, oh, well, I haven't done any hill reps recently. I'll just go three times quite fast up this hill. And before you know it, you've woken up and it actually, you feel like you've done something with your session. You feel really proud of yourself. Yeah, I do think everyone has to have a purpose, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people say that, and a lot of people, they swear by the 80-20 rule, don't they, whereas 80% of your um, your training should be um, slower, steady runs, easy pace, and then 20% should be really hard stuff. Yeah, I think by default it works out that way. It's not something I fanatically check, but, yeah, I know, I know where I'm at, so. Yeah. Um, and that leads me on to um, a question about your training, how it differs from race to race. Um, because uh, Seb Sebastian Schoenenbeck wants to know, um, first he says, awesome guest. <laughs> um, and he wants to know how training differs between a timed event like a 24-hour race and a distance-based event like a 100-miler. Um, so could you just talk a little bit around that? Yeah, I, I tend to go from one extreme to the other, which uh, kind of frustrates Paul a little bit. Because <laughs> I'll come out, like, before I did Tour de Gion, I'd just done a 24-hour race, like 10 weeks before, and by the time I recovered from that, we had a really short window. 
Um, and then I finished UTMB and decided I wanted to go back to marathon training. So I kind of, I, I just like all races. So I kind of go from one extreme to the other. And I train quite specifically for a race. I mean, I don't race a lot. I only do a few races a year because I like to really focus and give all my energy and attention into that to that one event. I don't have the luxury of being able to go away and for long weekends and weeks away to do races. So when I do a race, I really focus on it. Um, so I like to train specifically for that event. And sometimes if I'm lucky, events are on the bounce and I can, like I did the Bob Graham rounds as training for, for UTMB. Um, so it really depends on what I'm doing. So there's a lot of times where I have to take in a lot of vert and a lot of ascent. Um, for training for a 24 hour race, there was a lot of flat running on a canal or flat trails. Um, for the Times 100, um, I almost treated that as an extension to marathon training. So there was a lot of speed work in there. The long runs at the weekend would have had some kind of pickup or tempo session in the middle, which I probably wouldn't have done for 24 hour racing. So yeah, I think every single race I've had a completely different training plan, which is good because it means kind of keeps you on your toes, keeps everything a little bit fresh. I don't want to be that person who does the same type of race. Um, so yeah, the training has all been completely different and it depends, again, you know, I've done like Trans Grand Canaria twice, which is amazing, but it's in February and trying to train for the winter in Scotland for a race in the Canary Islands is quite tough. So I would spend like most of my winter going up and down Conic Hill on the West Highlands Way multiple times just to get in some um, some ascent because it's you can't go up too high in Scotland because the conditions. So yeah, I just I just fit it in um, in different different ways. So it all works eventually. And to train for such a hot event, did you also wear a lot of clothes whilst you did those multiple reps of the van? Uh, no, but. Um, like when I trained for Spartathlon, which um, I'm like yourself, I'm, I'm very fair freckled skin and don't belong out in the heat. Um, when I trained for uh, Spartathlon, I went to like a, a heat chamber and did a couple of sessions there, which was interesting. But I got much more benefit from just sitting in a sauna. For So from about three or four weeks out, I would try and get along to the sauna at least four or five times a week. So... It's not perfect, but you've got to work with what you have. So, um, yeah, I think that the sauna sessions were definitely beneficial. And did you do anything in the sauna, like cycle or run, or you just yeah, literally just sat, sat there? <laughs> yeah, I had some really bizarre conversations in saunas in Glasgow, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've, uh, I was listening to your end of your spine race, and it was really funny, um, some of the things you said there as well, which we'll come on to in a minute. Um, you're you're well known for just saying things how they are and I find that really refreshing (laughs) Um, and just while we're on the topic um, of uh, different training approaches to the different races and mixing it up a bit um, Sebastian also wants to know how the preparation for a long event like UTMB and a really long multi-day event like Tour des Giants differs because um, you did Tour de Gion in 2017, didn't you? And then UTMB in 2018, which was where you used the Bob Graham round as training, which <laughs> which is amazing because most people would just be like, wow, Bob Graham. 
Um, yeah, so it was the question about training, did you say? Yeah, training? how does it yeah. differ training for UTMB to, to Tour de Gion, multi-day? Well, the Tour de Gion was one of those, um, it was an opportunity that came up and you've just got to take it. So I had the chance to do it. I really wanted to do it. It was far from ideal timing because I was training for um, the World 24 Hour Champs um, and all my focus was on that race. And I think Tour de Gion was like 11 weeks later. Um, so it wasn't ideal. Um, I was already knackered before I even started the race, to be honest. Um, so I didn't actually do much specific training. I went out and did quite a few long days out in Glencoe, just going up and down, um, getting in as much ascent as I possibly could over a couple of days. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I think there's only so much you can do for two or three I mean, it's, it's a long way and you know, you're going to have so many different factors that are thrown at you, like the sleep deprivation, the altitude, the heat, the cold—it's so many, many extremes, and I just—I don't think you can actually train for something like that until you put yourself in that position and realise and learn how you respond to different aspects of it. Um, I, I would love to go and do that race again because I learned so much about the event and about myself and how I deal in those situations. But it's really hard to train for something like that until you put yourself. Uh, you know, a hundred hours deep in the Italian Alps, and then work out how you respond to it. So, yeah, I mean, UTMB was just a lot of um, mountain hiking. I think um, I was lucky enough to go out and do a recce of the route over three days, which was really helpful. Um, so, yeah, it's a, the train is not too dissimilar because there is only so much you can do before you push yourself onto the fatigue side of training. For Tour de Gion, so yeah. Mm, so, is it more about mindset for Tour de Gion then, and just keeping going despite the sleep deprivation and despite the pain yeah. and the tiredness? I mean, yeah, you have to work yourself out of some pretty dark places. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's the overriding goal to finish is what will get you to the end for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's good to know, and I hope that answers Sebastian's questions. Um, we have got, um, shall I just read to you, we've got quite a few people on the live chat here. Um, oh. So I'll just give you a little sense of who's watching. Uh, there's about 30 people watching right now, um, so I'll just read out a few people's names. We've got um, Alex DeHoto is watching, um, John, Sebastian, uh, Philip Haddock, Amanda Armstrong, whose question you answered earlier, she says, uh, she says thanks very much for answering, answering the question, Debbie. Um, Sue Hewitson says, hi Deb, so good to see you hi, on here. Sue. I used to work with Sue. Oh, <laughs> lovely, oh, that's brilliant. Um, we've got a few overseas viewers as well. We've got Harley Guy, howdy from Texas, y'all. Oh, I said that in such a British accent. Howdy from Texas, y'all. Um, <laughs> uh, Guy Greatrex says, so excited for this. Uh, Jasper Kiernan, I've got a question from him coming up as well. Um, we've got Brad Rush from Vancouver Island in Canada. Um, we've got Chrissy TV, uh, Nigel Barnett has just made it. And, um, uh, and he says thanks also for answering your question, answering the question earlier. And um, Alex DeHoto says, Sauna, good info. <laughs> um, 
So we have got a, a couple of, of questions coming up um, in the live. Uh, Sebastian says, thank you so much for taking the time to give such a detailed answer. So um, thanks so much there. Um, uh, Guy Greatrex wants to know um, what your Bob Graham round time was. Uh, it was uh, 23 hours and 18 minutes, I think, yeah. I had a, a pretty rough day out there. I think I chose the only rubbish weekend of weather in about three months, so it was in two, two years ago. And um, yeah, I went out on leg two and I just felt so sick. I was just really nauseous, I had a hamstring niggle that was flaring up and I was adamant that I was going to finish after leg two because I didn't want to go on. Um, and when I got down to the handover point, um, one of my friends, James, had come up from down south and another friend, Giles, had made the effort to come down and do leg three with me and I felt really awful because they'd made such a long journey and they kind of convinced me to go out and then leg three was a bit rough but leg four and five were my strongest legs and uh, I'm just so thankful that um, I continued because I'm not sure when I would have had the opportunity to do it again and you know when you get to that point where you just you physically can't go on and I just kept saying to myself you know you don't know until you try you don't know until you try and I just kept saying that and I, I'm just so thankful that I continued so it was it was a tough one it was definitely a tough day but um yeah, I only have fond memories now. I only remember the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I only remember the good bits. Well, you did it in under 24 hours. Are you tempted to go back again and improve upon your time, or is it just a case of completing? No. You know, when I was training for it, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough course. And um, I think that, you know, the dropout rate of the attempts is because people really underestimate it. I think that people just think it's a nice trail out in the Lake Districts, and it's not. It's really hard, and I'm no hill runner by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so when I was, I mean, I went out and I made the effort to recce it all, and I was quite fanatical about it. And I, I had two friends that I was training with, and I said all along that if I did it in 23:59, I would be absolutely delighted just to do it. And then, of course, when I got 2318, I was like, mm, I don't know, I'm not that happy about it anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, I've done it, and I, I don't see me ever going out to do it again. It was just one it wasn't necessarily a box texting exercise, because I don't want to do that. It was just something that I wanted to do just for myself. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to do it, and, yeah that's it yeah and there's just so many more things to do isn't there um yeah. you could go and do something else next i don't know paddy buckley ramsey round that kind of thing i don't know i look at the times for the ramsey round and i think i might be able to get ben nevis ticked off in that time <laughs> i'm sure you could i'm sure you could <laughs> Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, we've got another question. Arlene M, um, you answered her question earlier. Uh, thanks very much. And she says, um, what is the most distance you train for in one day? Or do you do any more back-to-back -back training? Uh, in present times, um, the most I would run was maybe a 35 miles. Maybe, yeah. And in, in days gone by, I'd probably push it so maybe 50, um, maybe once or twice before a big race, um, specifically when I was training for 24-hour races. Um, now I would probably be about 
35 miles, but that might take six or seven hours. So if I'm out somewhere and, you know, taking pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you like to take pictures. You probably might turn at least another hour, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, about, about 35 miles is the most I would do in training just now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's actually really interesting. I really like that because a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to run an ultra. I need to run and run and run and run and run and run. I need to run 50 miles to train for a 100 miler. And I just don't think you do, do you? It's, it's I would only like do it a few times as well. I wouldn't consistently do 35 every weekend. I would only do it a few times in a build up. But that would be my build up to my longest run. But I don't know whether because, you know, I've been doing ultra running now for, God, what year are we? <laughs> 2020. <laughs> Yeah, I know, what year? 12, 12 years? Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of miles in my legs and I've made all the mistakes. So I don't know whether I'm just being wise or I feel like I don't need to anymore. So Yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? If you've already got that base, it'd be good to also talk to somebody who hasn't got such a, a massive endurance base and see what they do. Um, yeah. That would be interesting. Um, but it's interesting that you you've said about running for so long because I, I just wanted to sort of go through all the big races that you've done and then see maybe if we can get a bit of a, a key takeaway from each race because this talk is all about the key to ultra success and I just think with your mass of experience about this um, there's got to be one thing from each race that we can sort of uh, that you can sort of distill for us and we can steal your secret. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so um, first I I wanted to talk to you about pacing um, because uh, Jasper Kiernan uh, was very impressed about your record that you held for the Grand Union Canal Race. Um, uh, you, you made it in 2012 um, until Mimi Anderson broke it a couple of years ago. Um, no, Kat Simpson broke it. Oh, just even Mimi more recently. Mimi Anderson held the record. I took it from Mimi oh. and then Kat Simpson took it from me. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, okay. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, having held the record for that race, um, he Jasper wants to have a crack at this one day, he says. And he says, with flat races, he finds it difficult to maintain a continuous slow pace, like without hills to break it up naturally into a kind of a walk-run cycle. So, yeah. so, I thought we could use the Great Grand Union Canal Race as... Um, a time for us to talk about how to pace um, uh, long races like that, like long flat races. Yeah, I mean, I don't go by what the pace on my watch says. I generally go by feel. Um, I, I don't worry about what other people are doing around about me. So um, in the Grand Union Canal Race, I can't even remember what position I was at any point. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I go by feel and yeah, I'm quite metronomic and I can just tick off miles at a really quite happy pace. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, you've got to start off with a pace that you know that you can maintain for 145 miles. Um, I don't try and factor in slowing down towards the end. Inevitably, I did. Um, but yeah, it's just that you've just got to go with the pace that suits you, not suits the person who you're racing beside early on. So you just have to put your ego to the side and just go out if, as if it's a race by yourself. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, people always say that pacing is my forte, and I think it's because I can't actually run that fast anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just go out 
and uh, I try not to get worked up. I, I've done one race where I chased someone um, and it ended horribly for both of us actually um, and I swore I would never do that again and I'm quite happy just like I would get worked up if I got into a race and I was ahead of where I wanted to be early on. Um, so yeah, I just uh, pacing is not about what my watch says; it's what how I feel at that time. And sometimes your pace can go completely awry because you know you're going to have wobbles somewhere in the middle. Like when I did South Downs Way, I felt I got really dehydrated, and I spent about 15 miles of that race just really having to work through it, and then came quite strong in the end. So um, yeah. Pacing is about how you feel, not what your watch says, that's for sure. That's so interesting. And so when you say you run to how you feel, what do you want to be feeling like when you're when you're running? Um, is it that chatting pace? Um, can you describe it? It's content. You've got to feel quite content. It's not like you have to talk to people or, you know, if, how you're breathing. As long as I'm happy with the pace that I'm doing, and I, then I know that that effort is fine. That's fine. Yes, that's really good advice, isn't it? And I suppose that comes with a bit of experience as well. Um, yeah. So you kind of get the you get to know the pace that you know that you're not going to blow up in fifty miles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you probably will blow up at some point. You've <laughs> got to work through it. Experience has taught me that I can work my way out of anything. That's fantastic, and and people listening to this will be like, oh, brilliant! I've I've got all this advice. That's amazing. But there really are no shortcuts, is there? You've got to go out there. You've got to get that experience yourself. Yeah, and I think everyone has rough patches and races. Everyone goes through like really really dark moments, and there's not a race where I haven't wanted to throw in the towel like at least a few times. Um, I don't remember a race where I haven't gone hit some really awful patches um yeah but you, they all they all come good yeah you just got to work your way out of so i think it's easy to think that when you're having a really bad patch that everyone else ahead of you is just skipping along nicely having the best day out and it's not it's ultra running it's not cocktails on the beach everyone is working really hard so yeah that's so useful to know that even the really top runners have bad patches because I think we we kind of tend to look at people from afar and go oh my god she won this race she did this record and we think oh they find it easy but but you don't do you it's it's never easy no I think I mean even if you go along and and watch an ultra you can see some of the front runners they're just struggling sometimes even more than the mid-pack backpackers because they're really putting themselves on the line um so yeah I think yeah the front runners I think actually work a whole lot harder than people think they do well ones that I've seen anyway for sure so. yeah they must do they must do um, and um, and so I just want to move on now to um, a little bit of chat about the Lakeland 50 and the Lakeland 100 um, Philip Haddock on the live chat um, wants to know how how you found those races but I just thought it was so interesting how in 2013 you actually took two and a half hours off the record and but there was somebody else who also took a big chunk off the record as well so you actually ended up coming second and then you came back the next year and you won it in 2014 so yeah just just tell us a little bit about how what what kind of went on in your mind <laughs> during those yeah, two years. Yeah um, the one in 2013 um yeah, I took two and a half hours off the record and came second to Lizzie Wraith, who broke the record that year. 
Um, so you can't complain coming second to Lizzie. Um, but, uh, you know, I had the race that I wanted to, to run. That was a time that I wanted to run. Um, and my splits were pretty much bang on the whole time. So, yeah, I can't complain. I was, I was really, really pleased with that race. And, um, yeah, I loved it. And I went back the next year because I really enjoyed the experience. And um, then it was 2014 and it was an absolute scorcher. It was boiling. Um, and I wanted to quit at the first checkpoint because I was so hot. And uh, I didn't quit because I didn't want to be the first person to go out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it got, when it got during the night, it got a little bit cooler. And the next day wasn't quite as bad. But it was um, quite some torturous heat out there. Um, so, yeah, and then I did the 50 the year after. Um, and I think. Uh, you know yourself when there's the 100 and the 50 going on at the same time people in the 50 think they're doing the fun run um but they're both just so hard it's just you attack them completely different with the hundreds you can be a bit more relaxed and but you you hit some dark places and you've got other things to deal with like foot problems and chafing and nausea and stuff but with a 50 it's pretty much eyeballs out for the whole way like there was one point where I was thinking, I don't even have time to stop and pee here because I'm going to fall off target. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're both really t tough but different for different reasons. But, yeah, the 50 is definitely not the fun run. <laughs> yeah, just like the Spine Challenger, 108 miles is not the fun run. <laughs> no, I think the dropout rate for that is quite high. I think it was this year anyway. I think a lot of people dropped out it because people go in with the impression that it's like the spine light and it's not, it's a really hard 100 miles. It's, um, yeah, the terrain and the conditions that they had for the the, the Challenger. Um, yeah, I think people go in with the impression that it's not quite the spine, but it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Anything 100 miles is just so hard. And 50, if you're trying to go eyes out, then it's definitely so hard, isn't it? And I, ju I just wondered, is there sort of, what do you wish you'd known earlier about training for 100 mile races? Is there anything that you think, oh, I wish I had just done that earlier? I wish I'd done strength training years ago. Mm. Yeah, I really wish I had. Um, Maybe I didn't see the benefit or didn't factor in the time because I was doing too many miles, but I definitely would have benefited more from doing less miles, more strength, or just anything that wasn't running, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'd wish I'd done that years ago, but I've started now, so. Ah, that's so interesting. So for 100 milers, you recommend strength training. And yeah. so, like, how often per week and what kind of moves would you do? Um, well, I'm doing it, well, before lockdown, I was going to maybe a few circuits classes a week, um, but now I've been doing a couple of circuit classes, and um, I used to do a lot of yoga before, and then just kind of fell out of the way, because it would take like two hours to go there and do the class and come back, and I just couldn't factor in that time, but I really enjoyed it, um, so now I've been kind of getting back into that on my Zoom classes. Um, but yeah, I, mostly circuits. I try to go to like 30 minute classes because um, then I go and I do it and um, I, I'm just, I'm really enjoying it. I'm just enjoying doing things that's not just solely running. So yeah, I wish I'd started it years ago. 
Yeah, so that's a message to us all then. More strength training, everybody. Um, and and Philip Haddock says, thanks very much for answering that question because um, he had to DNF 43 miles into the 50 on the Lakeland 50. Uh, oh, bless him. <laughs> he might go back and do it again, maybe. Um, just having a look for some other questions in the live chat here. Um, uh, let's go for, I, I just want to move on through your races a little bit first. There's a couple of questions on the live chat that I want to come back to um, about people getting stressed that they can't run far enough. But first of all, I just want to talk a little bit about the Tour des Giants um, okay. in 2017. Um, you said it came of a, just an opportunity and you just went to, um, went to run it and you learned a lot. And I was just wondering, is there anything about um, what you carried with you um, that you learned, like gear-wise, like and the food that you took with you. Um, were there any yeah. takeaways from that side? I think because it's such a long yeah, race, I, must must I, really I, matter. Yeah, the last day, um, the last night that I was out, I left uh, the base camp, which is one of their checkpoints, and it was like um, just about zero degrees, and I had to go up to like three thousand odd meters. Um, and I didn't take enough clothes with me because I knew I would have to carry them the next day. Um, I should have taken a down jacket, but I was taking layers of waterproofs um, and that just didn't keep me warm. So I was absolutely freezing. Um, so in terms of kit, like now I always have like a really light down jacket with me and I carried it all the way through the spine as well. Um, because that's the only thing that's going to actually keep you warm when you're cold. You just um, you're going to be cold anyway because you've already lost four nights of sleep and trying to have the energy to generate heat while you're really really exhausted. So um, you do need those extra layers and way more than what you would need on a normal day um, where you've just woke up after eight hours and gone out in the hills. So um, yeah, layering and like proper winter clothes, not just trail running out on the fells on a Saturday afternoon clothes. So yeah, that was one of the mistakes that I definitely made, so. Yeah, so definitely packing a, a nice light insulating layer, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and you're sponsored by Montaigne, aren't you? Have you got a particular yep. Montaigne one that you can recommend to us all? Uh, the prism one I think I've got, and there's a new one, I can't remember the name, so I'm going to get killed for this. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. I think the, I was going to say the prism. Yeah, yeah, I really like, I mean, I think it's a, it's a old stock one now, but um, yeah, I, I wear that quite often and it packs really light, um, so that that's the one that I use most times. Yeah. And was there anything about nutrition that you also learned on that? Because I've, I've read various interviews with you where you say that food's always been a little bit of a, um, uh, like a troublesome point for you in races. Yeah. Um, I think in uh, Tour de Gion, I probably wasn't eating enough for a day sitting in the office, let alone a day out in the hills. But you think because you're eating that you're eating enough. Um, the food becomes a bit samey. Um, and uh, I didn't really feel that hungry at many points um, and tomato pasta and watery soup and bread yeah yeah I, I definitely wasn't eating enough I do I mean as you said I do really struggle with eating in races I really suffer from nausea um, someone will jump on and tell me to try ginger now and uh, I have many times tried it nothing works uh -huh. 
Um, I just, uh, I think it's because I let myself get dehydrated and then I become nauseous and then I can't eat and it's just this circle. Um, but yeah, I do, I do really struggle to eat, so I'm never going to give anyone nutritional tips. Um, <laughs> Have you yeah. found that, say, adding some carbs to your drink works better for you than like yeah, tailwind I and stuff? Yeah, I use tailwind and I use active root as well, which has ginger in it, which does kind of help with the nausea. Um, but yeah, it's not perfect. It's better if I can get some carbs and, and electrolytes that way. Um, but yeah, it's definitely my biggest downfall. Like I did the Thames Path 100 last year and yeah, I barely ate anything. I had a couple of gels and threw them up and had some Morton mix as well because that's really calorific. So I'm starting to use that more. But yeah, my calorie input versus output was, um, yeah, there was a big discrepancy there. I just really struggle to yeah and my you know anyone who's crewing for me really gets so frustrated like I did a hundred mile track race last year and my best friend Sharon came down and crewed for me and uh, she just spent the whole time just totally exasperated because all I would eat was like one party ring and half a gel which I'd throw up from the other side of the track but I seem to run like really long distances on very little calories but it doesn't make it easier um yeah, I make it tougher on myself by not taking in the calories, but... Yeah, it, yeah, that does sound really tough. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering, do you have to really stock up beforehand? Like, do you have a night of, like, five Mars bars and then no, go into the race? I get <laughs> problems before I even start, so, yeah. I, I do, like, up the calories before. It's, it's not really a conscious effort. You just feel like you can pig out because you're going to burn it all, right? Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I have made mistakes the night before and ate like a giant bag of M&Ms and then really suffered during the race because of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't stock up too much, but yeah, it's, uh, it's always been a work in progress for me. Yeah, it's a tricky thing to get right, isn't it, nutrition? And I think you've just kind of explained it perfectly in that it is completely different for everybody and you do yeah. have to just keep trying for your own self, don't you? Yeah, I think I try, liquid calories are good for me. Yeah, yeah, so if anybody is feeling nauseous, then liquid calories might be the way to go as well. And and like you said, hydrate a bit more as well and, and look after yourself in that way. Um, and then I just wanted to, we have talked a little bit about the UTMB and the BG year in 2018, um, but I just wanted to sort of tie those races in with the concept of mental strength, um, because Arlene asked the question, is success in these long ultras more about building physical endurance or mental fortitude? And and the, the Bob Graham really kind of says that, doesn't it? That you had to just keep going. It was your mind that kept you going, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm really stubborn, annoyingly stubborn. Um, and, you know, going back to when I said, like, I don't do that many races because I like to really focus on key things. Um, it takes a lot for me to DNF. I haven't got that many DNFs on my record um, because it takes a lot for me to do that um, yeah, I would rather grind something out than throw in the towel I don't want to be a person who quits just because it's getting tough because you know that's what you signed up for you signed up for something that's really tough um, 
so yeah i think uh, my mental strength is probably better than my physical strength because you know things like the spine race um and anyone who finishes that has to go into some really really tough times some really dark places and you've got to pull yourself out time and time again just to be able to continue um so yeah i think it, it helps being really stubborn um yeah and I'm, I'm pretty focused on it might be that i mean very rarely you go into a race and you come out with a time that you wanted you know it's it's quite a rare thing to do but um yeah i always wanted my key races and the ones that i focus on are the ones that i really want to finish like i like to do races where um success is not inevitable like there is the high chance of me dropping out or dropping out anyone dropping out um yeah races that have got really low success rates have massive appeal to me um and they're the other ones that i'm quite driven and motivated to do so yeah it takes a lot for me to throw in the towel i mean i wouldn't be silly if i, I you know going into the spine race i said if i put myself in any danger i i was going to die then i would have definitely dropped out um you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm somebody's mother, and that's more important than a race. So I wouldn't have put myself in any danger. But yeah, I like uh, putting myself on a line, knowing that you know so many things are could and probably will go wrong. So yeah, so I hope that that answers Arlene's question for sure. I can't um, even remember what it was now. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she said, is it a physical endurance or mental fortitude? And yeah, um, yeah we've gone for the mental in that one um, <laughs> with the emphasis on the mental, I think. <laughs> and so um, the, uh, yeah, and then just moving on to 2019. Um, this is funny because I met you just shortly after this and we did some interviews together at the Ring of Steel, but you just done the Centurion 100 track race um, hadn't you in, in 24 hours the 24 hour race there um, and and then you went and did the Ring of Steel Sky Race just two weeks after it so again yeah. that just shows doesn't it mental determination is what will get you through yeah it's kind of weird because I had uh, the um, the track race was a 100 mile track race not a 24 hour race and it had like a 17 hour cut off um, so yeah I mean that was, that was a tough race another one where I spoke about Sharon chasing me around trying to get me to eat and uh, I kind of struggled but I was really thankful that I finished it in the end and then it, it's kind of weird if you've got a race two weeks later it's I always think or you've got something else to focus on I always think you recover quicker um yeah I really enjoyed the ring of steel um I, I just signed up because I wanted to do it I didn't have any aspirations and um I was quite pleased at how it went on the day, to be honest, considering um, it was just really nice to be there that weekend. It's quite a phenomenal experience. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm from Glasgow and King of Leaven's not too far. And, you know, nothing happens in King of Leaven until the Salomon van rolls in. And now it's like a little trail running, sky running carnival. So um, it, it's quite, it was quite nice to be there. And I just wanted to be there, to be honest. Um, the year before I'd gone up and um, done some spectating and cheating. And I thought, yeah, I just want to do one of these races. 
Um, so it was really good fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's such a good atmosphere there, isn't it? And there's yeah. so many different races you could choose from. Like, um, will you do the Glencoe Skyline next year at all? No, I didn't get in it. I did apply for oh, it. So I, I will try again for next year, if yeah. it goes ahead this year. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. Massive fingers crossed. <laughs> Um, and uh, I've just, I hope you don't mind, we've just got a question on the live chat here. Um, some, um, uh, there's some stress on the live chat. So Chrissy TV says she's been getting stressed about how far she can't run so far. Um, so she's just uh, building up her running and she's stressed about why she can't run as far as she wants to. Um, and she says she doesn't understand how anyone would get through an ultra um, because she's never gone that far before. Um, she says running hurts, like it just, hurt, it just hurts too much, it hurts bad. Um, so do you have any advice for people getting stressed about not being able to run far enough? Um, well, it really depends on what she's training for. Um, like most distances, you don't need to run an ultra to be able to run an ultra. Um, if you're running 100 miles, you only need to be able to do 30, 35 miles in training to get you through. It's not like a marathon where, you know, you've got 26 miles, but people would do 20, 21, 22 miles as their longest run if they're training for a marathon, whereas an ultra, the more you do, the worse the race is going to be. So it's better to turn up slightly under-trained than massively over-trained. So, um, I mean, I don't know what distance is, but if it's hurting, you just slow down a bit. Just enjoy it. And it's okay to walk as well. Um, time on feet is more important than grinding out 25 consistently run running miles so yeah it's okay to have walk breaks especially if you're hurting i mean hurting doesn't sound good um just slow it down enjoy it take in food and some uh, liquids and just walk if you have to walking's fine yeah. i love walking <laughs> yeah we do a lot of walking as ultra runners fine yeah get some poles um yeah but i think a lot of people um i think they see 100 miles and they go oh my god i'm gonna run 100 miles and that is all that i want to do but i just think you don't have to run far either to be a trail runner and and to enjoy yourself you could just run for a half marathon if you want yeah. and it's 13 miles and and it's just a case of building up really slowly as well isn't it like you didn't just come in and start running 100 miles did you you would have no, started I, quite like 5k yeah, 10k I couldn't run for a minute. Um, when I started running, I, I started training with two girls that I lived with at the time. And um, we decided just to run a 10K and we went out the first night and I, I couldn't run for a minute. I literally had to stop after a minute. Um, but it's amazing how quickly you improve or how your endurance improves and your overall fitness. So. Yeah, I think it's just slowly building it up, making sure there's lots of rest in there as well, especially if you're hurting. You know, recovery days are really important. Um, making sure you have non-running days as well. So. Yeah, so yeah, just getting involved. Um, um, Chrissy C TV says, but I want to win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the winning might come later. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, that's fab. Uh, so, oh yes, I'd really like to talk a little bit about the spine race now, um, because uh, I'll just show a picture of you um, and your little boy. Uh, let's just get that up here. So this is a shot of Debbie. Um, uh, sat down next to the wall um, after the 2020 spine race, which was this January, and 
um, it was, oh, it was gruelling, wasn't it? Storm Brandon. Um, yeah, and then uh, what really struck me as you came over the finish line, um, people started to ask you how it went. And you said, oh, I'm really sleep deprived. There was a naked man up there with his head up an arse. Um, and so I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the sleep deprivation. Um, yeah, I had 118 hours to think of something inspired to say at the end. <laughs> That's what I came out with. It's kind of, yeah, I was really on the edge for the last, there's like a three mile section which is on the road before the end and I don't think I've ever been that far gone in my life. It was just, I mean, I've had hallucinations before um, but I didn't really have them until maybe like the last night and it's almost like before dawn that's when it all gets a bit funky and because I finished around about six o'clock that was when yeah and I started seeing some really crazy things and it was like a naked man who was bent over and I was oh anyway um, <laughs> so like you can usually see zoo animals and the trees become something and you see little faces in the ground that that's pretty common but the good thing is, like, you know you're hallucinating. You know your mind is playing tricks. So it's not frightening in any way. You know it's just happening and, you know, you blink and it's, it's gone. But, yeah, I was definitely on the edge. And those three miles were, yeah, pretty excruciating. I had, even from, like, day two, I think, I had really bad problems with my shins. Um, most people in the race had some kind of shin tendonitis because they were pulling their feet out of mud for so long. Um, so a lot of people dropped out with shin tendonitis and people that I've spoken to since are still having problems with their shins. Wow. Um, so yeah, the last few hours got really, it's just that drive to want it to end. Um, although I loved it, you know, three miles on the road towards the end can, yeah, I just wanted it. And I kept seeing the finishing line. I kept seeing people and lights and, yeah, it, it just, I was, yeah, I was a little bit wasted. And I didn't expect people and cameras to be there when I finished. You know, it was like six o'clock in the morning. So I was a bit overwhelmed to, like, sit down and turn around. And all of a sudden I had, like, all these cameras in my face. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm yeah. in good spirits, like, the whole way. Um, yeah, I, you know, I was quite happy to be where I was and what I was doing, apart from times where it got really tough. I mean, most of it I really enjoyed. Um, and, I, you know, when you go out there for so long and you don't see people, that when you do see people, you actually just enjoy the banter and a little bit of conversation because, yeah, most of the time you forget you're in a race. You're just out there off your face for days <laughs> and uh, yeah I, I've seen a few of the videos um, when I finished and I was just like oh my god shut up what <laughs> are you saying and there's like 20 people with all with cameras yeah. but I open my mouth and stuff just comes out <laughs> I thought it was brilliant you made everybody laugh and they'd all got up really early to see see you come in so I think yeah you gave them all a right treat there um but I just wondered, is, is there anything that you can do to help with sleep deprivation? Because obviously you had it on the Tour de Jean. Um, there's maybe a little bit of it of the, at the UTMB when you run through the night and your 24-hour stuff. Um, is there anything that can prepare you for the spine race type? Yeah, of just, just sleep, and then you won't get sleep deprivation. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know what strategy I would do next time because there is people who like sleep for four or five hours and then they get up and because they feel so much so refreshed they're obviously then covering terrain faster rather than just moping about with poles um yeah in in tour de Gion, I, I probably slept around about seven eight hours in both races um but that's like lying down not actually sleeping so it takes you so long to get to sleep and then you wake up like every five minutes so you don't actually get a good sleep um and Tour de Gion, I spent so much time just sitting at tables, packing and unpacking my bag and just wasting time where I could have slept. Um, but just because I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, to be honest, and I didn't have someone there telling me, right, you've been sitting there for two hours, can you just get out? Um, whereas the spine, I, I forego, a, um, I went without quite a lot of sleep because just the way that my race was going that I was going into checkpoints and it was in daylight and daylight on the spine race is very precious so you don't want to waste two hours going to sleep when you've only got eight hours of daylight um so yeah it's called you know you've got to make hay while the sun shines and it's not like you can sleep out I did actually sleep out a couple of times on the spine um just getting a 15 minute sleep which is in hindsight ridiculous because it's the middle of winter um but yeah i didn't really i yeah i wanted to sleep more and i would have if i had gone into the checkpoints at night mm-hmm. um but because i went in the daylight i just wanted to make use of the daylight hours because i mean the pennine way is not the easiest trail to navigate there's no rhyme or reason to it so if you're stuck in a bog in a field in the middle of the night and you come off it it takes you so long to get back on it because there's just in daylight it's easier because you might be able to see the faint path um so yeah daylight and navigating on the pennine way are just very precious so yeah i i probably would have slept more but yeah just worked yeah well congratulations for coming second lady on that one um and for amusing everybody at the finish line it's the best quote i've actually led with it in the youtube description (laughs) i'll probably lead with it in the podcast description as well because it's so good (laughs) and um and then we've just got a few minutes left um but we i just wanted to ask you catherine's question here on recovery because especially like races like the spine but also she wants to know after your 12 hour 24 hour races um how do you recover immediately after the race because she says she struggled to get going again for over a month because she had she had cold after cold after doing her first 12 hour event last year so yeah your thoughts on recovery um after events would be great yeah i mean i don't have any magic lotions and potions um i just eat well sleep well drink well um yeah I treat myself to foods that I probably normally wouldn't. Um, I take rest. There's no set time. It's just when I feel like I want to go out. Um, but, you know, for the spine, I think I was off for a couple of weeks at least. Um, I can't even remember now. Um, but that's because I had, like, I picked up an injury. Um, but even if I wasn't injured, like, um, I recovered okay um but i get like the worst doms like for a couple of days after it whereas some people can spend like three or four weeks feeling rubbish i seem to get it for like 24 hours full on um 
so yeah, it really depends on how I am after the race. I mean, the spine, yeah, it took me a long time just to physically feel okay. Um, it was like a good month before I caught up in sleep and um, yeah, I was tired all the time and hungry. Like, I don't think I've ever been so thin in my life. Like, my weight just completely plummeted afterwards. Um, and I couldn't stop eating. And then I couldn't really sleep because I kept waking up thinking I was in the race and had to keep going. So it's quite traumatizing to wake up thinking that you're in a bog somewhere. Um, but yeah, it really depends. Um, I've always got another race to focus on. So. Oh, or another something to focus on um so that keeps me motivated um but i do like to take time off i think you deserve to have some time off so if it takes you a month then a month is fine um but you know you need to come back slowly like i wouldn't go back come back and do you know straight out and do a five mile run or something i would go out and do maybe a couple of minutes running a couple of minutes walking and just ease myself in and just test how things are um but yeah, in terms of motivation, I think you just need something else, like another race or another goal um, to get you back going again. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, that's really good advice. Um, and um, and just time for a couple more questions, if we've got time just before we go. Um, we've got Mick Sueville. He says, uh, what was Debbie's most challenging race to date and why was this the case? Was it maybe the duration, the terrain, your state of fitness and mental state? Would you have done anything differently? It's quite a long question. Uh, run is the hardest race of them all. Oh, sorry. Say that again. Sorry, I didn't just... Park didn't... run. Park run. Oh, wow. Um, what was my hardest race? Um, I think they're all quite difficult. Um, I've had some absolute stinkers. Um marathons is my nemesis i finally got one right last year um yeah maybe the track race last year um because it was only like a few people it was like an elite entry race and i felt completely out of my depth and i ended up like i was the only woman left and um yeah i felt like i was in a bit of a goldfish bowl because everyone could see what was going on and how i was going into these the depths um, so I was really glad to finish it, but yeah, I found that mentally really tough. Um, I felt like the trauma of all the 24-hour races just completely hit me like a ton of bricks when I was about 30 miles into it, and I really had to work mentally to keep going because at 50 miles, I was in the ladies' toilets with Sharon wailing that my head was done in, and I just couldn't go on. I just physically couldn't and she was like well just do another lap and you'll be fine and then I got some music and I listened to some Taylor Swift and got in my groove and yeah I think that yeah there was bits of it that were really good but there was a lot of bits where yeah it was just I mean 100 miles on a track is just not normal for starters but 100 miles on a track at pace is um yeah so that was a that was a tough race it was tough it was tougher than I trained for because I felt like I was in really good shape um and uh yeah i just uh i think it was mentally my struggled mentally in that race um more than physically because physically i felt fine it was just so that was a tough one, tough one. it sounds tough any race around the track sounds tough to me but doing 100k around the track around the track 
or 100 miles or how or 24 hours or any kind of distance um on a track just sounds like and uh, sounds like a nightmare <laughs> doesn't it it takes a special breed of maniac that's for sure <laughs> oh and um and so just finally um just to, to sum up and and everyone is saying thanks so much because uh, they really feel like you've answered their questions so well tonight um there's just one final question um about what you're up to next really um i know right now not up to much but um do you have any kind of dream races bucket list races will you ever yeah. come to the u.s to do to do any races arlene wants to know she's from the u.s any other countries I uh, I keep trying to get in the Western states and they keep saying no. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, I think I've been five times now, maybe that I've entered. Um, I'll keep trying until they give me a place. Um, I'd love to do Badwater. No idea why, because I definitely don't belong out there in the heat. Um, yeah, it's just one of those races. That, yeah, so Western States and Badwater yeah. are definitely right up there on my bucket list. That's so. pretty hot as well. Yeah. And I nearly died. It was 14 degrees today. Oh, it's so hot, isn't it, right now for us fair-skinned people? <laughs> Temperatures have soared to 15 degrees today. Yeah. yeah. We're walking around in your bikini. Exactly. Um, fantastic. So lots of races ahead. Um, did you have any planned for 2020 that have been cancelled? Yeah, I say? was uh, going to do the Aaron Sky Race, which I did last summer, and um, Lakeland 100. I wanted to do that again. Like I always go and help out with the race, and I have done since ever I, I started running it. So the last few years I've been volunteering every year I go oh I really want to do this one again so I was going to do like the 100 which was going to be my western states qualified as well so yeah I don't know I don't know yeah I'm quite lucky because I run for the centurion team so I can get a little side door into some of those races um but yeah I, I mean I've done most of them um so there was one the Wendover Woods 50 has kind of appealed to me but yeah I've got nothing I don't want to enter anything I don't want to commit to anything until we know um you can't even book a weekend away so it's kind of yeah I don't, I'm quite happy just doing my thing just now it's this you know maybe my drive to train specifically for something is not there but yeah I'm just enjoying running yeah it's fine it's fine yeah it's kind of like an enforced rest period on us all isn't it it's quite it's quite kind of refreshing if you can you know look at it from a different angle yeah i mean i i mean work is just crazy and this is my loft office space which uh i leave here on a friday night and go and sit in the living room for the weekend but i i don't i think i've ever felt so content and it's just because like my kids got a club every night of the week and He's got activities all weekend and I feel like I just run a hundred miles an hour from here to there, getting out of working time so I can get to go and take him to such and such and uh, it's actually quite nice not having to be anywhere at a specific time and on a strict schedule so I'm kind of enjoying that. I think I might hit the wall sometime next month but it's fine for now. 
yeah it's fine for now it's, it is a nice rest isn't it um and and i want to say a massive thank you from everybody for such a great chat tonight um i just want to read you out some of the nice comments just so that you get a bit of a feel for who was watching we had we had uh, a lot of people watching uh, the high point was 45 people um live and it will be a lot more later on as this goes on to podcast tomorrow and um it just gets put onto the youtube channel so um I want, um, Catherine Dolliver says, thank you, Debbie, for answering my question. Um, Arlene M says, also, thank you. Um, Amanda Armstrong says, excellent. Thank you, Debbie and Claire. Um, Guy Greatrex says, Badwater, great race. Um, uh, Catherine says, Aaron, that's an idea for next year. Um, Seb said he'd do Western States in a heart, heartbeat. He totally agrees with you. Um, Abby says, great interview, Claire and Debbie. Loved hearing all about your exploits, Debbie. Um, Arlene M says the JFK 50 still has openings this November <laughs> if you want to go oh, do that <laughs> there you go <laughs> um, and Philip Haddock says hope to see you next year on the Lakeland and thanks for a great interview um, Amanda says nothing wrong with just enjoying, enjoying running Seb says great episode thank you so much Claire and Debbie John says thanks very much really interesting Chrissy TV thanks as well um, Nigel Barnett great interview loving Debbie's down to earth answers <laughs> brilliant um and uh john gardner says much respect for debbie very interesting guest and guy greater x says great a uh, great interview inspirational ah so yeah so everybody has really really enjoyed watching it um and i just want to say a massive thank you to you for thank coming you. on and, and spending so much time with us here tonight it's i'm sure there's there's so many um so many bits of advice there about um how you can be successful in ultra running from your experience um and yeah i hope pe people have taken a lot from from listening to you thank you very much that's great so we'll say night good night to everybody and um we'll see you next week for marcus scotney who is also in the montane oh, team you can't have enough gingers can you <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's going to be full-on ginger next week cool so thank you very much debbie and um, good night Thanks, bye! Thank you for listening. I really enjoyed our chat with Debbie and it really does come across how much of ultra running is in your mind and not just in your legs. Debbie is such a fantastic character. I always look forward to seeing her at races and she's always ready with a funny story and a smile. Follow her on Instagram for sure. She posts beautiful, inspiring photos of running in the mountains with friends. Debbie is a Montane athlete and she recommended their prism jacket during this talk so do see the show notes for a link to that and more of the Montane gear that I've reviewed and that I recommend. Next week we have another Montane athlete and this time it is a double helping of ginger as redhead and red bearded Marcus Scotney joins us to talk about his record setting wins on his first ever multi-day races, the Cape Wrath Ultra and the Dragon's Back race. This year's Cape Wrath Ultra has sadly been postponed due to this year's Cape Wrath Ultra has sadly been postponed to 2021 due to the coronavirus outbreak. So we will run it in spirit instead with Marcus and get all his top tips for a successful completion of both these incredible multi-dayers when the world is back up and running again. 
If you want to guarantee that I ask your question to Marcus, do support me on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Patrons also get free access to the podcast archive, freebies, discounts, and training plans, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 120 patrons at the moment, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. What's not to like? So join us live, if you can, on Wild Ginger Running YouTube this Wednesday at 6.30pm UK time, or watch later on YouTube, or listen again on this podcast the following day. Check out the show notes for all the links to Debbie's Instagram, Montane Gear, Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel, and Patreon. If you have a moment to write a review, that would be much appreciated too. I'm keen to know where you listen. Are you running? Are you driving? Or are you doing chores? Let me know. For more trail and run- for more trail and ultra running advice, gear reviews, and inspiration, subscribe to Wild Ginger Running on YouTube. It's totally free, and follow me on Instagram at Wild Ginger Running. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.